Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Romans. Let's go to the book of Romans. So we'll be in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Acts, then Romans. Go to Romans 13. Romans 13. We're going to look at a single verse this morning. Boy, I can remember in school that uh, grade school, high school, that back then, I don't know if they still do it, but there was a nine weeks and that was a big deal. It was kind of like the semester was based on nine weeks and we would get nine weeks grades. Well, for the next nine weeks, we're going to be in a series of sermons. We're entitled it, we've entitled it Untangled. And we've been talking about this for now close to a year. And, and please understand that an aspect of that is the financial peace that as an entire church family, we're going to be going through. And if you have not signed up for that, please Please do so. And again, the financial peace is just one aspect of it. The, what we're going to be looking at is making sure that our lives are unhindered from the things that are keeping us from walking with Jesus Christ. That's what we're after. We're after not only for someone to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, but then to follow him with all your heart. And so I want to take you to the passage of Scripture that the Lord really impressed on me, now this has been a few months ago now, that this would be the passage that we would really focus in on. And so let's go to Romans chapter 13. And I, I want you to see, the, it's very few verses. And again, this whole idea of untangled, unhindered. And so let's read Romans 13. We're going to read from 8 down to 12. And, and this, this isn't even this morning's passage. I'm just trying to get you to where we're going in this whole series over the next nine weeks. Here we go. Romans 13, verse 8. Owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. And so on Sunday mornings, we're going to be focusing in on casting off these works of darkness, these things that have tangled our lives, hindering our walk with Christ. So on Sunday mornings, we're going to be talking about those things we need to get rid of. On Sunday nights, we're going to be focusing then on what is it we are supposed to do. We're going to be doing the top 10 commandments in the Bible. Now, you remember, you didn't hear in that, the Ten Commandments. I said the top Ten Commandments. What are the commandments in Scripture that are most frequently mentioned from Old Testament to New Testament? Because this passage we just read said, put off the, dark, the acts of darkness, the works of darkness, and put on the armor of light. And so in the mornings, getting rid, in the evenings, adding to. And so let's, let's talk about this now. There's a reason why the Lord led me to this passage and particularly then to this morning's single verse. 
Because as the Lord's been dealing in my heart, what the works of darkness do, now listen, there's two things that the works of darkness do. The works of darkness, first of all, keep me from seeing clearly the path that God has for me to go on. When I am involved in works of darkness, and, and please, folks, if you're thinking, oh, well, I don't do any works of darkness, any, any of that, you know, real bad stuff, folks, the works of darkness are any sin in our lives, that's works of darkness. Works of darkness keep me from seeing clearly the path that God has intended for me. But also works of darkness in my life keep others from seeing the Christ in me that God wants the world to see. Is everyone, if we get that? Works of darkness not only keep me from seeing clearly the path that God has for me, but it keeps others from seeing the Christ that God has put in me. And so we've got to get rid of these works of darkness, but where does it begin? We're on, and we're in a series called Untangled. We want to be unhindered. We want to experience what freedom in Christ really means. So where does freedom begin? And so for the next few minutes, I'm going to do something that we don't normally do. And, and I should every single week do this, but we're going to get like a 35,000 foot view of the book of Romans. And it's because in order for us to understand Romans 13, we really need to understand Romans. And so I know that, my goodness, we could spend, Romans is one of the most fascinating books in all of scripture. We could spend months going through chapter one. And, and I'm really, I'm not using hyperbole there. I'm, I mean that. It is an amazing book, the most systematic book that Paul wrote. But we've got to understand the context in order to get this whole idea of how the gospel affects my everyday life. Living untangled, walking with him unhindered. All right? So I'm going to read a single verse. And then I want us to get the context in mind. A single verse, let's pray, and then we'll get the context. Here we go. Romans 13, verse 1. This morning, this is what we're, I'm going to preach on. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. All right, let's pray. And as I'm praying, would you please pray? Because I, I want our first prayer this year that I get to pray with you. We've already prayed more than once in this service. But the first prayer I get to pray with you, I really want us to dedicate this year to the Lord. Anytime I, I get to begin a sermon, I want to, Lord, please use this sermon. I want to give the sermon to him. But really, as we start off, and, and I hope you'll do this whether you're a single, a couple, a, uh, you've got children, whatever. That you would, at your own home, dedicate this year to the Lord. So let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we begin by praising your name. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. And so, Lord, we praise you. You are God. And, Lord, as our choir was singing scripture, give thanks to the Lord. Father, we thank you. 
And so, Lord, we dedicate this year to you. Lord, we pray that this year would be used for your glory and for your kingdom. And, Father, I pray that you would use our church in a greater way than ever before. Lord, I pray that there would be such a moving of the Holy Spirit in our church this year. And then, Lord, we we give you our our individual lives. We give you our our marriages. We give you our families, our kids, our grandkids, Lord, all of our, our family. Lord, we dedicate it to you that you would use us for your glory. Father, I pray that we would dedicate every single day to you knowing that this is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. And so, Lord, we come to this moment now where we say, Lord, use this sermon and we dedicate this time to you. This hour of worship, Lord, may our minds, our hearts be focused on you. May we be changed for your name's sake. And, Lord, we pray for someone to be saved. We pray for lives to be changed. We pray that you would add to us and draw out from us. And so, Lord, may you receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. Lord, we need you. Every single one of us, we need you, Lord, desperately. I pray that people would hear from you this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so now keep your Bibles open. Go with me to Romans 1. Go with me to Romans 1. I'm going to flip there with you right now. Flip back a few pages. Romans chapter 1. And let's get the context of Romans and then we can get a better understanding of Romans chapter 13. All right? So here's the first thing I want us to understand. To whom was this book written? To whom was it written? Okay, look at verse 7 with me of Romans 1. Verse 7, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. Okay, praise the Lord that this scripture that we just read, this letter arrived in Rome in A.D. 57. Folks, you are holding in your hand, and if you need a Bible, please take the one that's there in front of you. You are holding in your hand a letter that was written in A.D. 57. Did anyone get anything for Christmas dated A.D. 57? Do you have anything in your house that old? We hold in our hands a letter from A.D. 57. And thank the Lord that this letter is living It is active. It is not just intended for those who were in Rome, but in essence, what you can read in that, to all those who are saints and called of God and loved of God. And so what that means is, what we're going to read today has extreme relevance for you right now in the situation that you're in. And folks, I have no idea what that is, but God does. The the day that you're living in, the place which you're living, God has a word for you today in this. And so that's whom it's written to, to all the saints. And if you're wondering, well, what about someone who's here who does not know Jesus Christ as Lord? What about that person? Please know God has a word for you. God has a word for you. Every piece of the scripture is telling us about Jesus Christ and the salvation that God brings. And so please know, if you're a skeptic, if you're a questioner, if you're just inquiring about God, God has a word for you today, all right? So when was it written? And and that's crucial for us to understand. We do know that this letter, with a high degree of certainty, we know that this letter arrived in Rome in A.D. 50. 
7. And so you can combine the things that are written by Luke in the book of Acts where he is chronicling Paul's journeys. You can combine that with some things that Paul wrote to have a high degree of certainty that this letter arrived in Rome in A.D. 57. Why is that important for us to understand? Let me explain that. In A.D. 49, Rome had an emperor named Claudius. And in A.D. 49, Claudius kicked all the Jews out of Rome. First of all, the scripture tells us that. That is verifiable information you can find in Acts. But second of all, Roman secular history verifies that there was an emperor named Claudius who in A.D. 49 kicked all the Jews, expelled them all out of Rome. All right? Well, in A.D. 54, five years later, Claudius dies. And that edict that he issued, lapsed, it went out of effect, and the Jews started coming back in to Rome. That was A.D. 54. Well, this letter arrives in Rome in A.D. 57. Now, folks, listen to this. Why is this so important? Well, you remember Christianity started in Jerusalem and, and expanded out from there. So here we are in A.D. 57, the, the, there are house churches. Christianity has spread to Rome. And because it started in Jerusalem, most of the house churches are primarily led by Jews. The Jewish culture is there in a house church. Well, but in AD 49, all the Jews are kicked out. So you have house churches that remain that are now largely led by Gentiles. Well, then AD 54 comes, the edict lapses, and the Jews start coming back in. Folks, can anyone start getting a sense of maybe the tension that was occurring in these Christian house churches whenever it's largely been Gentiles now that have been leading them, and now the Jews are coming back in? You see, up to this point, Christianity was just viewed as a subset of Judaism. That Christianity was just kind of this offshoot of Judaism and just before long it's going to go away. Well, now here you have the Jews coming back into Rome and the question that they're dealing with is, am I primarily Jewish or am I primarily Christian? The Gentiles are asking the question, am I primarily a Gentile or am I primarily a Christian? Boy, their entire identity is wrapped up in this. And so Paul writes the letter of Romans to show all the saints in Rome the great glories of the gospel of Jesus Christ and how that gospel changes who you are, how that gospel impacts your life. And so listen, if we were to, okay, so let's now real quickly, Romans 1 through Romans 4, Paul is showing us that the reason that there had to be a gospel is because we've sinned. That's why if you remember the Romans road to salvation, Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned. And listen, that's why he's saying, all have sinned. He's writing to Jews and Gentiles who are trying to work this thing out together. And so Paul says, we've all sinned. Let me show you the theme of this entire letter. Look at Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. 
Paul lays out here the entire theme. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. All right. So Romans 1 through 4, Paul says, we've all sinned. Romans 5 through 8, Paul starts arguing that salvation is only through faith. The only way that you're ever going to be able to stand right before God is through faith. Romans 9, 10, and 11, he starts arguing for the exclusivity of the gospel. He's saying that salvation is only through Jesus Christ. That's why you have Romans 10, 9, and 10 That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart, man believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. In 9, 10, and 11, he's also lamenting the fact that his Jewish brethren, and I'm not talking about Christian brethren. I'm talking about how other Jews are not believing. And that's where Paul says, I would allow, if I could be accursed for you so that you would be saved, I'd, I'd do that. Right? So Romans 1 through 11, Paul is explaining and laying out how great a salvation we have. He's showing us the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 12, he starts showing us how that gospel changes you. How that gospel affects your everyday life. Friends, listen, if this gospel is as great as Paul is saying it is, then it's got to change more than just my eternal destiny. Folks, so many times we think that getting saved just means I won't go to hell someday, but I will go to heaven. But it has nothing to do with the way I live my life now. And Paul is saying, no, that's not it at all. That's why Romans chapter 12 opens with the words, Therefore I appeal to you, brothers. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying that's how wonderful this gospel is. Is not only does it change my eternal home, but it ought to change my home right now. The gospel changes completely how I see things, how I see people, how I see my own money, how I see my life. It changes everything. And so in Romans chapter 12 through the rest of the book, that's what he's arguing, how the gospel affects your everyday life. That's why, again, Romans 12 verses 1 and 2, he's saying, here's how the gospel affects your relationship with God. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. And then in verses 3 through 8, he's arguing how the gospel changes how I view myself. Look at verse 3 in Romans chapter 12. It says, therefore, do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. The gospel changes how my relationship with God. The gospel changes my relationship with me. And then beginning in verse 9, he's saying the gospel changes how we interact with each other. Romans 12, verse 9, let love be genuine. 
It says it affects how we view one another out inside the church and outside the church. He says, bless those who persecute you. And then by the end of chapter 12, he's even saying the gospel changes how you interact with your enemies. Those who are opposed to you, he says, don't take vengeance. You leave that to the Lord. And then as he continues writing, remember that. Paul didn't all of a sudden write Romans 13. He says, here's how you interact with your enemies. You don't take vengeance, but instead overcome evil with good. And while I'm at it, subject yourself to the governing authorities. Because he's wanting them to be free. And you say, wait a minute, I thought you just said he wanted them to be free. Here are Jews and Gentiles in Rome. The Jews understand that they are under the Roman leadership. And you're telling me that Paul's arguing for them how to be free. And he's saying, subject yourself to the governing authorities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because he's wanting them to show, he's wanting to show them that the gospel gives freedom a whole new view. The gospel can make someone who is in prison right now free. It can take you and me who are in bondage to sin and the gospel can set us free. And so the gospel changes who I am right now. And so here we go. Here's the outline. Friends, you just heard the majority of the sermon Because really, I needed this to get the context so that we could understand this whole issue of how Paul is showing us the gospel changes my everyday life. And so, here's point number one that I want us to understand. So, what's this all about? We've been talking about Untangled Now for several months. We've been advertising, we've done commercials on what's this all about? Because, friends, I'm afraid... And and listen, largely, it's probably the way I've been communicating because we've really tried to let you know about the financial peace aspect. And so I think for a lot of us, we think, oh, this is, is, the church is, is needing some more money. And so that's all this is about. Or, well, there's a lot of debt out there. And so we need to help people get out of debt. And friends, listen, financial peace can go a long ways in helping you get out of debt. But friends, I want you to know, here's what this is all about, bottom line. Romans 13, verse 1. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Friends, what is this all about? It's about ordering your lives under the authority of God. Now listen, you can read about Romans 13. You can go to commentaries looking at Romans 13. And a lot of them will talk about Romans 13. This opening passage is about the Christian's role in government. The Christian's responsibility in government. And boy, indeed, there are some wonderful lessons there about 
government and the Christian's responsibility. But friends, what Paul is after here, he has explained the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now he's saying, here's how the gospel changes your everyday life. It changes your relationship with God. It changes your relationship with yourself. It changes your relationship with brothers and sisters in the church. It changes your relationship with those outside the church. It changes your relationship with enemies. And it changes how you act under authority. Because, folks, bottom line, to get our lives unhindered, to get our lives untangled, means I've got to arrange myself under the authority of God. Because, please hear this, the temptation is going to be that you go halfway. And let me explain what I mean by that. The Greek word, therefore, be in subject to, as a matter of fact, Here's something interesting in the Greek. Look at your scripture again with me. The, the Greek word for every, pas, is there in the Greek. The, the Greek word for person is there in the Greek. But the words let be subject to is all one word. And it's the word hupotasso. Hupo is, we still use that today, if something is hyper active, that means it's way above active. If something is hypoactive, that means it's below active. It's lower than it should be. Hupo tasso, hupo meaning under, tasso meaning to arrange, to order. And so the Greek word there, what Paul is saying is every person arrange under God. He starts with governing authorities, but then he quickly explains, for there is no authority except the authority of God. Paul is saying your relationship, the gospel changes your relationship inside the church, outside the church. But also he's saying others are going to see that the gospel has changed you by how you react to the governing authorities. It's going to show by how you react to authorities who are over you. And so I don't like telling you what I'm getting ready to tell you, but I'm going to tell it to you because I really want us to understand this concept. I got pulled over yesterday. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, and please understand, I'm in the, it's a four-lane highway just outside Shawnee. I'm in the left lane. There is a car coming up behind me, so I get over into the right lane so that this guy, or girl, I don't know who it was, but so that they can go on by. I cross over. Immediately, here come the lights. I did not know what I had done wrong. I was in the fast lane. I get over into the right lane. The car goes past me. I get pulled over. The officer comes up. It was a man. And license registration. I've given my license. My wife's getting the registration out. And, and while he's standing there, I said, officer, I'm, whatever, I, I'm not for sure what I did. And he said, when you crossed over, you didn't put on your blinker. And you have a brake light that's out. Okay. So I, I was wrong. I, I didn't put on my, I, I, as soon as he said, I thought, he's right. I didn't put on my blinker. And so, yes, sir. He goes back, comes back later, and please know I'm doing everything I can. I'm, I'm, I want to be Christ-like. I want to be kind. He didn't give me a ticket. Praise the Lord. 
Praise the Lord. But friends, I've got to be subject to governing authorities. If I lay into this guy, officer, you're telling me that on this Saturday, the worst thing that's happening outside Shawnee is that I didn't put on a blinker. Is that what you're... If I had laid into him, and then I say to him, by the way, I'm going to be preaching tomorrow morning at Southern Hills Baptist Church. We'd love for you to come. (laughs) That in no way is going to show that I'm under the authority of God if I can't be under authority to a governing person. Jesus was subject to governing authorities. Did you know Luke 2.51, right before Luke 2.52... Luke 2.51, Luke 2.51 says, and Jesus returned with his parents to Nazareth and he was subject to them. Why was Jesus subject to his parents? Because it showed that he was subject to the father. And so folks, what's this all about? It's about ordering our lives under the authority of God. Folks, that's where this freedom is going to to begin. Paul is saying to the Jews and to the Gentiles, you want to be free? Arrange your life under the authority of God. And so a while ago I said, here's the temptation. The temptation is to go halfway. And the temptation will be, as we begin this new year, to just arrange Now, remember, the word means arrange under, but the temptation will be to arrange. And here's what that looks like. We start making resolutions. Yeah, they've been talking about this untangled, and so I need to to quit eating out so much. I'm going to quit spending so much money on eating out, and, and, and I haven't been reading my Bible like I should, and so I'll start doing that a little bit more. And, and I need to go to bed earlier. And so what we're going to do is kind of rearrange some things in our lives, which is where we get the old saying, rearranging the decks, the deck chairs on the Titanic. Because if we just rearrange a few things in our life, but we don't deal with the bottom line issue that I've got to arrange my life under the authority of God, then it's not going to work. And so, while I'm here, there are two of our major universities, OU and OSU, who have been looking for coordinators for the football team. OSU looking for an offensive coordinator, OU looking for a defensive coordinator. I, I absolutely don't get this at all. I mean, there has been so, so much hullabaloo over the hiring of a, of a defensive coordinator and offensive coordinator. I mean, so much emphasis. Channel 9 the other night, it was almost the lead story that OU had hired a defensive coordinator. I don't get that. Because you don't need a coordinator. The answer is just get better players. <laughs> just get better players. on. You don't even need a coordinator. And if you're saying, well, okay, so Doug answered this question, who's going to determine which of those better players starts? They'll figure it out. 
They're, they're great guys. They'll, they'll defer to one another. They'll want to outdo one another in showing honor. They'll think more highly of the other than they do in themselves. And so they'll figure that. They'll work that out. Okay, well then, so there's not going to be anyone that will tell them which position on the field, which role they're serving. Oh, just better players. They'll do fine. They'll, they'll get things covered. So who's going to coach them? I mean, teach them things. Oh, they've been coached since they were kids. They, they know this. They don't need any more coaching. Well, then who's going to call the plays? Who's going to call out the defensive scheme that they're supposed to be under? We'll just let the moment dictate what play they call. Does this sound like I've been listening to sports radio a little bit too much? <laughs> Something's wrong with him. Because everyone's understanding you have got to have someone in charge. You can't just say, oh, just... Just throw better players out there. They'll figure it out. Because, folks, a lot of times, that's how we live our lives. I'm tangled up in stuff. Oh, I'll, I'll be fine. I'll figure this out. Well, who's going who's gonna to show you which way you should go in life? Oh, it, it'll be fine. Folks, there's got to be someone who's in charge. And there's only one who knows. And that is God. God knows what the future holds. God knows what today holds. God knows me. There's only one who loves. God loves me. God loves you. He only has the best in store for you. And he's the only one who's going to last. He's the only one who is eternal. And so what's this all about? It's about arranging your life under the authority of God. So question number two, then what's most important? Hey, everyone who has a King James version of the Bible... That verse 1 of chapter 13, it says, let every soul. Isn't that interesting? In the ESV that I'm reading out of, it says, let every person. In the King James Version, it says, let every soul. Now, why would they have translated it, let every soul? It's because, did you know that Paul does not use the word anthropos there for person? He doesn't use a normal word for man or for woman. Instead, he uses the Greek word psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E, which we still use today, which refers to the inner being. It refers to the soul. It refers to the spirit. Paul is saying, let every soul, spirit, be under the authority of God. Why? Because that is what's most important. Friends, this financial peace is going to help us with material things in life. It's going to help us get in order our priorities for material things. But please know, you are not going to be able to get the material things in life in order unless the 
immaterial is in order first. And the immaterial is that which cannot be seen. The soul, the spirit, the inner being. And so, friends, that's what's most important. Listen, we all make resolutions. I've made resolutions at the beginning of this year. And isn't it interesting how so many times they're just physical, they're external things. I want to get in better shape. I want to start walking more. I, I, I need to start doing push-ups. I need to start all these physical things. And it's kind of like, I, yeah, and I, there's probably some spiritual things. Folks, listen, those physical things aren't going to mean a cotton pin. I shouldn't. I'm so sorry. Those physical things will not mean anything unless the spiritual takes priority. That's what is most important. It is the inner being. That's what will drive the physical is the spiritual. In premarital counseling, when I go over faithfulness with a couple, we talk about faithfulness, and I always start off, and I've, I've, I've done this for you guys in a sermon before. I show them how we all want physical faithfulness in our marriage, but where it begins is spiritual faithfulness to God. Spiritual faithfulness is what will drive physical faithfulness. Well, it's the same thing Paul's saying here. Align your life under God, but it's got to be the inner being. And so then finally... There's, there's one other thing we've got to get here. I, I've taken us through what's this all about. I've wanted us to understand what's most important. But folks, now we've got to answer the question, are you willing? And so a while ago I said the hupotasso takes up let be in subject to. And that word hupotasso is a passive imperative, which what that means is, first of all, it is a command. But second of all, the passive part means it involves you willingly yielding your life to that command. That's why Paul writes, let let are you willing to order your life under the authority of God not piecemeal it not smorgasbording our Christian life saying well I, I want him to have this part but boy I just the whole money issue I'm just not ready to let go of that not smorgasbording our Christian life but ordering our life under the authority of God are you willing Because that's what, that's what this is all going to rest on. We can register you. You can attend. But are you willing? We've all been with children, maybe our own children or grandchildren or other people's children, whatever. And you see that child's 
struggling to do something, maybe tie their shoes or whatever it is, and they're doing it over and over, and they're getting so frustrated, and you can tell they're about to cry and just break down, and you say to him, son, let me help you. And when I say that to my son, son, let me help you, I'm meaning it as his dad. Son, I'm giving you a command. I want you to obey me. Let me help you. But it involves that child. Yes, help me. Help me. I'm willing. I want to be free. I want to be unhindered. Lord, set me free. Eighteen twenty nine, and please verify this. Eighteen twenty nine. There were two men, George Wilson and James Porter, who robbed a U.S. mail carrier. It jeopardized the, the man's life, and they were arrested. Both men, and they were sentenced. And the sentence was execution by hanging. 1829, James Porter was executed. George Wilson, because of some people that knew him and who also knew Andrew Jackson, who was our president at that time, they went and appealed for mercy to Andrew Jackson. Please give a stay of execution. Please do something. And Andrew Jackson did. He gave a pardon to George Wilson. And George Wilson rejected it. He refused it. And to this day, you can read the letter that was written. I I waive my right to that pardon. Chief Justice John Marshall, he went all the way to the Supreme Court. And I want you to see what he wrote Please look at this. A pardon is an act of grace. Proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. But delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered. And we have no power in a court to force it on him. George Wilson rejected the offer of freedom. And folks, that's where we are today. Are you willing? God is offering you the way of escape. There is no salvation as great as the salvation that Jesus Christ offers. It is the power of God and the salvation Friends, begin this day, begin this year. Lord, I give my life to you. It may be you need to be saved. It may be you need to recommit your heart. You may need to come and pray as an individual, a couple, as a family, dedicating this year, committing your life. Lord, I want to be unhindered in my walk with you. The Lord may be drawing you here. He may be calling you out. However the Lord leads, you respond to him, our Heavenly Father. Lord, may your will be done in every heart. And we thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Would you stand with me? This is the invitation.